Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. And as usual, on Monday morning, we'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. The president once warned us about uh, the federal gravy train. It's such an interesting story. We'll talk about that. As well as Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and now an author writing murder mysteries that are terrific. It is December the 19th, and on this day in 1998, after nearly 14 hours of debate, the House of Representatives approved two articles of impeachment against President Bill Clinton, charging him with lying under oath to a federal grand jury and obstructing justice. Clinton, the second president in the United States history to be impeached, vowed to finish his term. In November 1995, he began an affair with Mona Lewinsky, a 21-year-old unpaid intern. Over the course of a year and a half, the president Lewinsky had a dozen sexual encounters in the White House. In April 1996, Lewinsky was transferred to the Pentagon. That summer, she was confided in a Pentagon co-worker Linda Tripp about her sexual relationship with the president. In 1997, with the relationship over, Tripp began to secretly record conversations with Lewinsky in which Lewinsky gave Tripp details about the affair. In December, lawyers for Paula Jones, who was suing the president on sexual harassment charges, subpoenaed Lewinsky. In January 1998, allegedly under the recommendation of the president, Lewinsky uh, filed an affidavit in which she denied ever having a sexual relationship with him. Five days later, Tripp contacted the office of Kenneth Starr of the Whitewater Independent Council to talk about Lewinsky and the tapes she had made of their conversations. Tripp, wired by FBI agents working with Starr, met with Lewinsky again, and on January the 16th, Lewinsky was taken by FBI agents and U.S. attorneys to a hotel room where she was questioned and offered immunity if she cooperated with prosecution. A few days later, the story broke and Clinton publicly denied the allegations that I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. In uh, late July, lawyers for Lewinsky and Starr worked out a full immunity agreement covering both Lewinsky and her parents, all of whom Starr had threatened with prosecution. (laughs) Sort of as high of of, uh, the law. Anyhow, on uh, August 6th, Lewinsky appeared before the grand jury to begin her testimony, and on August the 17th, President Clinton testified, contrary to his testimony to Paula Jones' sexual harassment case, President Clinton acknowledged to prosecutors from the office of the independent counsel that he, that he had an extramarital affair with Ms. Lewinsky. In four hours of closed-door testimony conducted in the map room of the White House, Clinton spoke live via closed-circuit television to a grand jury in a nearby federal courthouse. He was the first sitting president ever to testify before a grand jury investigating his conduct. That evening, President Clinton also gave a four-minute televised address to the nation in which he admitted he had engaged in an inappropriate relationship with Lewinsky. In the brief speech, which was wrought with legalisms, the word sex never was spoken and the word regret was only used in reference to his admission that he misled the public and his family. 
Less than a month later, on September the 9th, Ken Starr uh, submitted his report and 10, 18 boxes of supporting documents to the House of Representatives. Released to the public two days later, the Starr report outlined a case for impeaching Clinton on 11 grounds, including perjury, obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and abuse of power, and also provided explicit details of the sexual relationship between the president and Ms. Lewinsky. On October the 8th, the House authorized a wide-ranging impeachment inquiry, and on December the 11th, the House Judiciary Committee approved three articles of impeachment. On December the 19th, the House impeached Clinton. <clears throat> on January the 7th, 1999, in a congressional procedure not seen since 1868, impeachment trial for President Andrew Johnson, the trial of President Clinton got underway in the Senate. As instructed in Article I of the U.S. Constitution, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, William Rehnquist at the time, was sworn in to preside, and the senators were sworn in as jurors. Five weeks later, on February the 12th, the Senate voted on whether to remove Clinton from office. The president was acquitted on both articles of impeachment. The prosecutor needed a two-thirds majority to convict, but failed to achieve even a bare majority. Rejecting the first article of perjury, 45 Democrats and 10 Republicans voted not guilty, and on the charge of obstruction with justice, of justice, the Senate was split 50-50. After the trial concluded, President Clinton said he was profoundly sorry for the burden his behavior imposed on Congress and the American people. So that was the debacle of uh, the Clinton affair with Mona Lewinsky, uh, ending in uh, not guilty, I suppose. Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> Uh, that certainly is the precedent for what's going on right now. You can just see what's happening right now. It looks to me like uh, the, uh, where they're trying to, the January 6th committee is going to have their concluding arguments today. And then uh, I'm sure it's going to be, a referral is going to be sent off to the attorney general. And I'm sure he will indict and uh, make criminal charges against Donald Trump. Just my intuition. That's my thought. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis announced that Florida's unemployment rate dropped to 2.6%, the lowest among nation's top 10 largest states and 1.1% lower than the nation's. November marks two consecutive years, 24 straight months, that Florida's unemployment rate has remained below the nation's. Florida also continued to exceed the national growth job growth rate for the 20th consecutive month in November 2022. Florida's continuing success over the past two years is no accident. No matter the challenges, we have stayed on offense, said uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, Florida's economy is outpacing the nation's for the second consecutive year because we have invested in our workforce and prioritized keeping Florida's Floridians at work and businesses open. As the new year approaches, we will continue investing in our workforce and infrastructure to create jobs and keep our economy moving forward. Thank you, Governor Ron DeSantis. By the way, he also signed a property insurance bill that aims to stabilize a tumultuous insurance market and says he believes the free market is an important solution. Florida lawmakers passed the legislation during a special session last week. The best thing for a consumer is that you can go out and make people compete for your business. If you have to do that, then they're going to give you a better customer service, they're going to give you better rates, and they're going to do all that, DeSantis explained. One of the main reasons insurance companies are fleeing Florida is that one-way attorney fees incentivizing lawsuits. Uh, Florida has about 7% of the property insurance claims in the country, but the state has more than 70% of the litigation nationwide. 
The bill reigns in incentives to litigate, DeSantis said. There's reasons why we have companies that have left the state. The bill removes the ability of policyholders to execute an assignment of benefits for property insurance policies in an effort to reduce the number of lawsuits. DeSantis explained how property insurance companies have been pushed out of Florida and companies need incentives to compete for consumers' business. Uh, I think that's because so many companies have kind of been pushed out of Florida over the last generation. You basically stuck with maybe one option, and they have no incentive to offer you a competitive rate and no incentive to even do a good job on the customer service. And so between what they've done on the uh, legislative reforms and what they've done to provide reinsurance stuff, that's a much different situation than what we were looking at, said DeSantis. So this is good news. Uh, some people are just saying, well, DeSantis is uh, favoring insurance companies. No, you know, quite frankly, if we don't have insurance companies, everybody's going to self-insure. That's not right. So uh, uh, to reduce the litigation charges and, and uh, incentives in Florida, that's a big step in the right direction. If we have 7% of the, of the uh, uh, charges or the cases in Florida, we should have about 7% of the cost, not 70. <clears throat> Florida Insurance Commissioner David Altmeyer notified Governor DeSantis he would resign from his position on December the 28th. The announcement comes one day after Floridians uh, and their lawmakers approved property insurance reforms. Part of the letter to DeSantis read, Under your leadership, we have worked with Florida legislature to meet historic challenges with historic reforms, and we've come together to respond to catastrophes, and we've implemented rules and regulations that have safeguarded Florida's insurance consumers while keeping our insurance markets viable. I'm so proud of the work of the office that we've been able to accomplish during my tenure. I remain committed throughout the remainder of my tenure and after to continue to the momentum we've established to make Florida the best place in the union to live, work, and prosper. That the letter from Altmeyer. Uh, just thinking this through, I was saying to myself, I think this is a pretty good time for him to resign and let a new commissioner come in and uh, handle the transition now to what's going to be happening. If he was thinking about it before, I just really applaud him for staying the course until the legislation was passed and staying in his role. Anyhow, uh, if there are anybody any questions why he's quitting, he's quitting probably to go on to other opportunities. Well, the latest episode of Twitter's internal files on content crackdowns paints a picture of censorship uh, and censorship machine that's not only worked hand in glove with the FBI, but also received content related flags and action requests from a tangled web of state agencies, private contractors and government affiliated NGOs, uh, non-government organizations shedding new light on the depths of the deep state. The files were released Friday by journalist Matt Taibbi with Elon Musk's endorsement and served to bolster claims that big tech colluded with the network of entities, including government agencies, to suppress Americans' free speech. Musk, who's been taking over Twitter in the late October, promised to release internal files of free speech suppression, has since granted a trove of documents to several individuals, Matt Taibbi, journalist Barry Weiss, and author Michael Schellenberger, who have been releasing them in trenches uh, during the uh, Twitter files, dubbed the Twitter files. Episode 6 of the Twitter files elaborated on in detail by Taibbi, who was shared on December the 16th, that it was Friday, included was a thread of screenshots of FBI requests for Twitter to censor posts on the platform, as well as one showing Twitter complying in a dynamic Taibbi described as master canine relationship 
The master canine quality of the FBI's relationship to Twitter comes through in November 22nd email, 2022 emails, in which FBI uh, San Francisco is notifying you it wants action on four accounts. Taibbi wrote, sharing a screenshot of an email from an FBI agent asking for any action or inaction uh, de deemed appropriate with Twitter policy with respect to accounts that may potentially constitute violations. In other words, the FBI was pushing them around, and that's just not right. Can't believe that we've come to this now. The FBI has been so politicized, as has been the Department of Justice. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get things back. By the way, uh, Musk said, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm cu conducting a poll, and if uh, the majority of people think I should step down, I will step down. I think this is a little bit of a uh, farce in the sense that he's planning on stepping down anyhow. But uh, I have just really come to admire uh, him, uh, uh, Elon Musk, and what he's done. For me, he's, he's certainly giving breathing fresh air onto uh, free speech here in the United States. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252-4541. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I hope you'll check it out. It's called HistoryCentral.com. He's also an authority on local and uh, global events. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Let's start off by talking about what's going on around the world. And uh, How about Ukraine? What's going on? Well, Ukraine, a couple of things have been happening. The biggest thing, of course, is because of the weather, uh, the war has been a little bit quieter because of the mud, which that period is beginning to end right now as the as the mud is beginning to freeze, and they expect a lot more uh, mechanic, mechanized warfare in the next couple of weeks, mm. um, and the Ukrainians to, uh, to take the offensive once again against the Russians, who are really seem to be in pretty bad shape at this point in Ukraine. But the Russians are responding by just attacking the Ukrainian cities again and again and again, aiming at the electrical grid primarily, but also just aiming at the city, sending in Iranian drones, which they they the Russians basically are out. They have some missiles, but they're out of missiles. So what they're using is Iranian suicide drones. A lot of them are being shot down, but some of them get through. I have a friend, um, a friend from Poland, who's actually in in Ukraine today. He went to bring. Uh, Bring clothing and such to to Kharkov, which is which was recaptured from the Russians about a month and a half ago, and he was in Kiev overnight. And he said he was on a seventh floor in a friend's apartment on the seventh floor of a building, and the air raid sirens went off, and there's just nothing they could do because there's no nowhere to go mm. at that point in the middle of the night. So the Russians continue; uh, these are war crimes, and they just continue with them in various ways and various forms. Um, and um, we'll see what develops. But if the Americans and the Europeans hold steady, the Russians will lose this war. So that's really what it comes down to. Uh, Zelensky again making keep on fighting. Uh, Zelensky again making a, a cry or a call for world peace. Uh, do you make anything of that? No, just he wants to be on the side. Of, he doesn't want to be seen as the person who's against peace. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, the Russians uh, are very good at propaganda and false propaganda and spreading stories in the United States via all sorts of ridiculous news sites and Facebook, and that's been their skill. And so he's just trying to make sure that the people understand in the world that the, the Ukrainians want peace. The Russians are the ones who attack without any provocation whatsoever. So that's just part of it. And it looks like the Russian strategy is to try and freeze them out. In other words, to get rid of the electrical grid and the power energy grid and... Uh, uh, just, uh, yeah, but they, you know, the, unfor- I mean, fortunately, the Ukrainians have seemed very adept. They've managed to restore power within 24 or 48 hours of the of the Russians trying to knock it out. Mm. Uh, the Ukrainian grid is now being connected to the overall European grid, so that even if a power plant goes out, and they can get additional power from from Western Europe or the rest of Eastern Europe. So, um, you know, the Russians can keep on trying. The Ukrainian people just get ang- get angrier and angrier. Yeah. And, um, you know, in Russia itself, there's a lot of, uh, under the surface, a lot of anger at this point. Hmm. A lot of anger. Uh, So we'll see where that brings us. Uh, Again, who who would have imagined, right? I mean, um, the only problem everyone has is no one one is able to produce weapons fast enough. Yeah. Let's move to China. And uh, 
the crackdowns and the just the crackdowns. When the crackdowns are over, it's COVID now that's spreading. They they basically opened the whole country up instantly, and um, it's unclear what's going on other than the fact that they're rationing simple drugs for um, for pain relief and for bring down fever. In other words, if you have one of the one of the symptoms of COVID is of course you have you run a fever. What do you do when you run a fever? You take the equivalent of aspirin or you know, one of those type of pills that, that bring down the fever, and they've literally had to ration it in most Chinese cities because they just don't have enough. Hmm. Um, so it's unclear what's going to happen. Uh, a lot of the Chinese cities, even though they're no longer in a lockdown, are more and more looking like a ghost town because people are afraid to go out. That can't be so, helping the economy. No, the economy is definitely in, in, in trouble. It's in trouble on multiple levels at this point. Um you know, and it's probably hurting the world economy as well because China was both a big producer and it became a big, a big consumer as well. Yeah. So it will no doubt hurt the world economy. I'm not sure what its effects are going to be on inflation. Um, and um, again, you know, we go back to what I keep on saying: we over we overestimated the power of China. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm not taking away their military power and the fact they could potentially attack Taiwan and all those things. But the idea that the Chinese were going to take over the world economically, I think that idea has come and gone. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, of course, it's the Chinese Communist Party, and I realize they're anything but communists, but they, uh, it's their uh, international war machine is what they are, about the criminal uh, enterprise. But uh, they don't play fair. I mean, uh, you know, dipl diplomacy, all those things are out the window. They cheat. Yeah, they cheat, but you know, I'm not sure some of our American corporations don't cheat sometimes too. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, let me put it this way: I would not, um, if if you want to put Google versus whatever Badai or whatever the biggest Chinese uh, internet company at this point, where their leaders have been pretty much forced to shut up or not take any positions and not being independent enough, I would, you know. I, if the Chinese hadn't cracked down on their high-tech sector, I would say, you know, we'd have something to worry about. But since they've cracked down on their high-tech sector, I'll go with our high-tech entrepreneurs mostly, not always, but mostly yeah. over there as any day. Well, Mark, I want to talk to you about what's happening in Iran, North Korea, Peru, and other things. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, uh, among other things, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. So we've been talking about the ongoing struggles of uh, people in Iran and the, the protests that have been going on. Any update? No, I mean, look, the, the Iranians are trying, to, are trying to make a point by uh, hanging a few of the protesters. That has had the negative impact that they thought it would gotten people even angrier. The general assessment is that the regime may not fall right now, but it is no longer in con- totally in, con- in control, mm. and its long-term uh, viability is very much in question. That's generally the, the, the views of the intelligence communities around the world at the moment, that, um, that something has changed drastically. This is not the you know previous protest. This is much broader, much deeper. Yeah. Um, but it may not be enough at this moment to, to to take over the regime, but it will at some point. So what, where does the Iranian guard stand? They, I mean, look, they're, they're on the side of the regime. We have not seen too much of their in, involvement in, in the protests up to date in terms of uh, attacking the protesters a little bit. Um, we'll have to see. Um, I mean, that's what's holding, propping up the regime. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's unclear. It's really unclear at this point. And, you know, one of the things about regimes like that is they're, they're stable, they're in power until suddenly they're no longer in power. Yeah, and they continue to fund, uh, well, the war in Ukraine and uh, all kinds of mischief. Right, well, they're, you know, they're, they're closely allied with the Russians at this point. You know, that they're clearly allies in this war, and we don't know what Russia is giving Iran in return. It can't be good, let's put it that way. Right. Um, so... We have an interesting axis of real evil now, and you know it's much. The axis of evil is much stronger now than it ever was when we talked about, about it. Our presidents talked about it in the past. Iran and Russia are leading the pack, without a doubt. So, where does uh, North Korea stand in all of this? I mean, North Korea has not given the Russians much in terms of arms. They seem to have given a little bit, but not much. The Rush, the North Koreans, keep on developing more and more missiles and testing them, pushing the Japanese. I mean, look what's happened now both because of Ukraine and because of North Korea, one of the most astounding things that they would, one would never have suspected, the Japanese have just approved a tremendous, tremendous increase in their defense budget, and for the first time, uh, purchasing offensive weapons. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really have an army. They had a national defense force. Only was going to be only able to defend uh, its islands. But they did some simulations, and they realized that wasn't going to work. And so they're now spending tens of billions of dollars planned in the next couple of years to increase the size of their Navy, armed forces, and air force, and turn it into a very, uh, you know, offensive-looking um, strike force. Yeah, doesn't that violate a treaty that we signed? With uh, well, I'm sure I'm sure there's ways we can we can agree to it. Let's put it that way. Absolutely, in the United States' interests. Yeah, things have changed. I realize, but nevertheless, I think I think that needs to be addressed. In the sense right. that I'm, I'm sure the legal people are worrying about that, but you know, it's it's been a few years. <laughs> yes, it has indeed. Nevertheless, so uh, so uh, North Korea continue. They are developing new missiles. Uh, they seem new to be- missiles, uh, supposedly solid state missiles. They were going to test a solid state missile. Now, solid state missiles are much more problematic. The reason being, liquid uh, missiles require to be um, gassed up, basically fueled. In order to, you know, they don't they don't sit there ready to go. They have to be fueled, mm-hmm. and so basically, good intelligence services has some warning. A solid state rocket um, is ready to fire at any given moment. Huh. So there is some concern in that direction of what they're doing in terms of solid state. And they're supposedly going to test a solid state rocket in the next couple of weeks, theoretically. The the irony though is we really don't know what they're thinking or what why understand what they're trying to accomplish. Right. Absolutely. It was interesting. I heard an interview with the head of the CIA, um, Burns, and he was asked, uh, I think the interviewer basically said, and, you know, we don't know anything. We don't know what's going on there. We don't have any resources on the ground. Do we? And he's completely was silent. <laughs> I guess you're not going to answer that question. So Interesting. So uh, what's going on in Peru? Okay. I, as much as I know, and I've been trying to follow, so what happened in Peru was there was a, the president um, was uh, not happy with the parliament, and the parliament was not happy with him. He was going to close the parliament and seize power. Instead, the parliament um, basically ousted him and arrested him for treason. Huh. And now the country is divided between those who are supporting the president and those who are supporting the parliament. There's nationwide strikes, so if you've seen on the news, tourists have been stranded there because they can't get out. Um, I don't even, to be quite honest with you, I couldn't tell you who the good guys and who the bad guys are in this story. Um, I really can't. and I, I tend to lean with the parliament, but I don't really know. You know, I've come so, to believe that both sides usually have the bad guys. <laughs> but, that goes without saying. That goes without saying. And, and how about Brazil? Is there any update on that? No, I mean, the only update there is that the... Um, that the president said, you know, we're going to go ahead with transfer of power. He accepted his loss. Mm-hmm. So, have the people accepted uh, it? Well, people haven't accepted it, but you know, people are sometimes uh, hard to bring along. You know, people don't change their minds very easily, even with new facts. Yeah, and that's you know, facts don't seem to matter as much as beliefs, and beliefs have now gone beyond religion. They've gone into politics. Which is a problem. So uh, before I let you go, I'd love to get your thoughts and comments on what's happening with uh, the Twitter releases. We had our sixth release on Friday. There's been a supplemental release on Sunday. Pretty disturbing information about collusion between the FBI, between Twitter employees. No, that's all nonsensical. I'm sorry. (laughs) That that was all all an attempt of 
Yes, the, the, okay. Let's 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 put this into two different two two different ballparks here. There was clearly a lot of problems. Twitter was dealing with the issue of what they should allow and what they shouldn't allow on on their platform. Um, and um, there's a lot of you can speak to a lot of the employees of Twitter, and they were deal, trying to deal with it. And it was a very difficult question. The FBI was clearly involved in both. With all the with all the tech companies in terms of uh, telling them about potential issues that might might exist, in other words, warning them, and then they would look at it. Um, what's more interesting in Twitter is, of course, the Twitter from the business perspective, two things have happened. First, it was the worst purchase in business history by by Musk. He bought something at five times its value, and the latest news is that today he um, put a survey out: should he resign as pres- as CEO? And the result was overwhelming on Twitter that he should resign. He said he was going to follow that uh, the view of the people. Two two observations. Uh, Number one, he didn't he didn't say when the uh, when the poll would would uh, be completed. It's closed already. It's closed. Oh, it's closed already. Yeah, it's over. And then the majority of voted. Fifty-seven percent voted for him to. Uh, to resign. And my second point, too, is it, it was kind of a, a farce, in my opinion, because he always, always said that he's going to leave as CEO of, the, of Twitter. Yeah, eventually. The question is, look, he's, he's, he's made a complete mess of it in the last week and a half, two weeks, by doing crazy type of things. Um, and I'm not talking about what you were talking about. I'm talking about his, you know, first of all, banning journalists. And then last night he did a trend. He basically said that any link to other social networks, people would lose their accounts, which everyone links, you know, when you have Twitter, you link to Facebook, to Instagram. Everybody links to everything. Like that's part of the whole social media thing. And he basically said, if you link to other other networks, they'll close your account. Um, The number of people who are leaving Twitter are are astounding in the last, uh, in the last, couple of days in last week and it's like he was destroying something that he spent he way, spent way too much money and what twitter is proof of is that you may be a brilliant engineer which i think he is did some brilliant things in in tesla and in spacex and but it doesn't necessarily always translate into a different business altogether yeah and so that's i mean the ability that people need that you know you may be rich you may be successful but Stay in your lane. Stay in the things that you know and not things you don't know. Well, he's, to me, it's been just so refreshing. <laughs> that some of his replies to some of these things. When AOC, for example, says that you should put your phone down, <laughs> and his reply is two words, you first. <laughs> he's a brilliant guy. And, he, and, and listen, part of the reason he bought it was he was a really he was really excellent at, at using Twitter in terms of he's brilliant and he's funny sometimes and all yeah. of those things. Yeah. But that doesn't make you a good steward of a company that you don't fully understand, let's put it that way. Um, no, well, even if you do understand it, again, being, you know, a social media company is very different than building a car or building a space. Yep. Uh, space rocket. They have those are engineering problems. Social media, we deal too much with people, and that's not as easy to understand as as it is uh, rocketry or uh, or cars, so to speak. Yes, I would agree with that. I, of course, I think the jury's still out on this. We'll see how this all ends up. Matt Taibbi has uh, released a number of twi- uh, tweets that are very disturbing from uh, the FBI uh, employees, and uh, the, in, I mean, re- demonstrating almost a. Uh, a servile relationship between Twitter and the FBI. You do this, do that. I mean, it's it's pretty disturbing. 
I think you'll find that if you put it all into context, it's no more disturbing than anything else the FBI does and does not do. It's part of what, part of their job is to worry about these things. I mean, I'm I'm not you know, familiar. Again, um, I, I think we're overthinking some of these things yeah. and over. And Matt he was certainly putting things out of context. Like this is news, and I, you know, I had heard almost everything he said was known beforehand. That was the interesting part of it. Uh, there's no real news that people who have been following Twitter didn't know in advance, uh, especially what Barry Weiss wrote. Everything there was was a known fact. So maybe they put it in a different context. But again, Twitter is a small little platform. It's compared to Facebook or YouTube. Yeah. It has about 10% the number of users. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, all that's true. I mean, but nevertheless, I think uh, there should be an investigation in all this because I mean, certainly this is in the context of the FBI, FBI's more politicized role here against "quote unquote" domestic terrorists, <laughs> people singing and uh, singing hymns at the Planned Parenthood locations and so forth. That <laughs> just makes me laugh. It's so stupid. Mark, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, uh, HistoryCentral.com, multimedia website, great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Check out HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the Have show. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part uh, by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and I hope you check it out. Download the app at choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and our focus is on high school and college students whom we educate and inspire in ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. Our website, uh, which features new commentary every day of the week, is fee.org, and we also hold events for students in person all over the country and sometimes abroad. Terrific organization has such a positive influence on kids that are high school and college age. And if you have somebody in your life that age, I strongly recommend you visit the website, uh, fee.org. Thank you, Larry. And uh, by the way, I found I was on fee and I found a new column that you wrote, a president who warned us about federal gravy train, the federal gravy train. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. I was writing about Grover Cleveland, the only president to be elected to two terms that were, that were not consecutive. He ran in 1884 and won. And then uh, in 1888, when he ran for re-election, he lost in the uh, Electoral College, although he did carry the popular vote. He came back and ran again in 92 and won and served a second term. Uh, he was um, uh, very loyal and faithful to the Constitution and to the proper role of government. And that, in, uh, for example, led him to veto more bills than all the previous uh, 22 presidents combined. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was really opposed to big government spending. He was in favor of sound money and uh, free trade and, and uh, low taxes. Yeah, and uh, he... <laughs> I, what, what astounded me was when I read through the column, I was saying, my goodness, the budget, uh, when uh, his predecessor took office, or when Harding died, was about, what, $6 billion a year, and it actually developed a surplus and got the budget down to $3 billion a year. Oh, well, uh, you're referring now to Coolidge as opposed to Cleveland, but Correct. I did write about him as well in the column. I, in fact, I opened the column uh, with a reference to the fact that when uh, Harding and Coolidge uh, took office as president and vice president in 1921, uh, well, the previous year when they ran, the federal budget was $6.4 billion. By the time Harding died in, three, in uh, 1923, uh, they had cut the budget in half, and then Coolidge, of course, succeeded Harding and cut the budget further to just under $3 billion. And during that uh, time that Harding and Coolidge were presidents, uh, the um, federal revenues rose substantially, even though tax rates declined dramatically. Nearly half the national de debt was eliminated, and the budget was in surplus every single year. So I opened the column with them, but then pointed out that this isn't uh, uh, only a Republican story. A previous Democrat president did similar things, and that was Grover Cleveland. Yeah, and uh, Grover Cleveland, I'm happy he pointed that out because he was a Democrat and a real fiscal conservative. And he pointed out that if, you know, if we end up spending money, it's your money. And it quite frankly, if we're spending it, not spending it wisely, we're actually reducing the quality of your life. And, the re and uh, we're, not, we're not following the Constitution. 
Exactly right. And I found in my uh, research that after he left office in 1897, about three years later, he wrote a half a dozen cover stories for the Saturday Evening Post. And you know, they were on innocuous subjects in several cases. One was on uh, fishing, another one uh, was on hunting, and so forth. But one was entitled uh, The Waste of Public Money. And, oh, my gosh, did he, uh, uh, did he nail it. Uh, he was one who did not, as he made plain in this article, blame the politicians entirely for overspending. He felt that the people back home had become indifferent uh, to government uh, spending, and some of them, in fact, favored more of it because they were on the receiving end. So he blamed, in part, the American people for uh, being neglectful and indifferent as politicians were buying their votes with uh, more and more public money. Yes, and what a refreshing message. And you put think about that in juxtaposition to what's happening right now in our economy and the billions and billions of dollars we're sending abroad to fund wars and all kinds of things and money that we don't even have. My goodness, $31 trillion in debt and growing by the moment. Yeah, and we're on track right now for the present fiscal year, which will end at the end of September 23. Right now, we're on track for a a budget deficit of of about $2 trillion, and that assumes we don't have a deep recession along the way, because uh, even even a mild one would make that go uh, even higher. It would be an all-time record uh, budget deficit, uh, which uh, in in the uh, post-pandemic yeah, uh, it's remarkable. And, and with interest rates going up, of course, that's just going to drive up the costs for funding the debt that we have. It's going to make uh, whatever monies that we might have for discretionary spending uh, <laughs> less and less. So he, we're starting to pay the price for what's going to, been going on. That's right. And there's so few people out there talking like Grover Cleveland or Calvin Coolidge did. Uh, those were men who uh, uh, appreciated the fact that there were hardworking Americans who were providing that tax revenue and who felt that, uh, hey, we need to guard that as if it were our own money. But today's politicians, uh, they just spend it as if it's, it comes from another planet. Yeah. Just think about this, though. A budget of $3 billion. And at the time, uh, we were uh, the president was saying this is too much. We can't have a budget this this low. I realize this is not Grover Cleveland, but nevertheless, it's just astounding to me that uh, we've allowed it to grow to the level we have. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we have more people today, but still on a per capita basis, we're at uh, an all-time record. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. The website is fee.org. I hope you'll check it out and introduce it to people in your family of college and high school age. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, 
You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now author of uh, several books. Uh, he's, he's written some sequels. The first is uh, Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree and his latest no problem. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure, Bob. I've, I've been thinking about another book uh, written by my former Barron's colleague, Tom Donlin, back in 2008. A, a really spectacular book called A World of Wealth, How Capitalism Translates into Progress. And uh, the reason I, I, I've been revisiting Tom's book is I just see uh, the Biden government and, and, and the Greenies uh, just undermining capitalism, which yeah. really is, is the basis of, of our uh, progress here in the United States and replacing it with uh, a top-down economic dictatorship run out of Washington. So, you know, the primary example we see now is the shift to uh, electric vehicles. So, so, so you have uh, people like General Motors trying to court favor with the uh, lefties who have so much influence in the government that they're going to have a complete line of uh, EVs by 2030. Uh, and then today in the Wall Street Journal, you have Akio Toyota, the great-grandson of the father of Toyota, saying, hey, hey, wait a minute. You know, we're not going to shift this company to 100% EV. And the reason is uh, we know we have a problem, but the answer is not yet clear. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's saying, why foreclose all the other options and go for one solution that we're not sure will work? Well, when you, when you think about what he's saying, that's the way 
the Democrats have been working in this country. Uh, they foreclose all other solutions. They decide, for example, the electric vehicle is the answer. Now, now part of the reason is uh, the Greens, it turns out, are as greedy as uh, any oil man. <laughs> they see it's a grab for uh, the public's transportation cash. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw it at the CDC when they when they said there's only one solution to dealing with COVID, and they shut down the economy and, and, and practically, you know, they destroyed it for for any number of years. When when the probably the best solution would have been let her rip and and let old people shelter in place, let young people go about their business. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and. and uh, I'm looking at this FTX and cryptocurrency. Um, the regulators in Washington, the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Commodities Futures Trading Commission are tripping over each other, trying to become regulators of cryptocurrency, you know, and an ex- to expand their, uh, their little regulatory empires. And FTX was not a failure of government. It was a failure, failure of prudence on the part of investors, so so why while I favor guardrails, you know I'm not for the total elimination of uh, rules of behavior. Yeah, um, I mean he the guy was a criminal. Yeah, the guy was a criminal. <laughs> he was he was stealing. <laughs> I mean yeah, you you can't be, you can have all the rules in the world, but a thief's a thief. Yes, you're right, and and, and it was a failure of uh, investor prudence. People people just. Uh, Swallowed his uh, malarkey. I mean, I mean, he was—he—he's allegedly because he hasn't been convicted yet, but allegedly a very gifted con artist. So, um, my point is that you know, capitalism is being eroded in this country, and it—it it will really have a horrible impact on progress because again, we're foreclosing every option, and and regulators should be very careful that they're allowing innovation in all sectors of the economy, that, that, that they're just not, you know, that they're not locking out people with who perhaps have a better idea. Yeah, I mean, the, the founding fathers got it right. They understood character. They, of course, they lived under the king, and so they wanted to avoid going forward to the problems that they had with uh, England bearing down on them. So right now, the, uh, the division of power and the things that they did, it was so prescient they 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 understood human character and how it worked and they understood when people get in power how it becomes a a, a a narcotic so so the yeah it's uh, in transportation too if you read be, between the lines uh there, there's a lot going on i'm, I'm not saying let's have a, first of all we're never going to live in a carbon free world uh that's propaganda yeah um, and I mean, we need carbon. Even windmills need oil for lubrication. You know, so yeah. so so you're 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 and actually, oil is a good investment because uh, as uh, let's say it's eliminated from the uh, fuel infrastructure, which I don't think will happen, but let's just say it is. Well, the cost of every other product. It's going to go through the roof. So, yeah. so I mean, people making oil are, are going to continue to make money because we need it. It's essential. So, um, 
I think that's lost in, in the uh, debate. Uh, the other th- thing is, even with internal combustion engines, there are amazing uh, breakthroughs. There's, yeah, there's a guy out there that's developed an engine with uh, no valves. <laughs> you know, he because a computer a computer can uh, take over the function of valves, so he, he simplified wow. the internal combustion and, and so he's only making it in race cars now. But I mean, that idea is kind of foreclosed because you know it loses it uses less fuel, it produces less pollution, but you know it's never going to uh, catch fire because. Uh, Government has decided we have to go all electric. Yeah, and uh, look at the de- development of uh, f- fusion, uh, 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 electrical fusion, or I should say nuclear fusion, uh, which is going to be a development which would just be unbelievable in terms of transforming energy. Look, Jim, you're talking to a guy that thinks this is a scam anyhow. I mean, the, the premise of carbon-based fuels being a problem is certainly... Yeah, uh, uh, carbon dioxide is is plant food, <laughs> and the more we have of it in the atmosphere, the greener, more lush the earth becomes. So uh, remember back in the day, you know, 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 years ago, it was global cooling. We're all going to freeze to death, and then we've got the problem with the uh, atmosphere. Now it's the global cooling and global warming. It's, it's, all, it's all hysterical stuff that's uh, leading to uh, uh, cronyism. Capital cronyism. Well, yeah, uh, you know, you know, people our age remember a great television show called Dallas, where there was a greedy oil man named J.R. Ewing yeah. uh, competing with a, a, a fool named Cliff Barnes. In my remake of Dallas, uh, J.R. Ewing would be uh, the Al Gore. He would be promoting green energy <laughs> because he he sees he sees that the real profit motive behind this movement. And Cliff Barnes would be uh, trying to save uh, an oil company. Yeah. So uh, I, I mean, I mean, look at Al Gore. Al Gore has become a billionaire. Yeah. Uh, you know, people these greenies are not in it for charity. No, they're not. Jim, I always appreciate. I really appreciate your bringing this topic to mind because it's so important. I really appreciate your commentary here in the road uh, on the show, and I hope you'll. Uh, our listeners will take a look at uh, 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 No Problem. That's uh, Jim's latest book, No Problem, Jim McTagg. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you. My Bye. pleasure indeed. All right, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow, including Kathleen Pasadoma, the uh, president of the state senate. We'll also visit with Boo Mortensen. Uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be with us as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. I'd appreciate it, and I'm sure our advertisers would as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.